Hello and welcome to Fragments of the Soul with me, Katie Fishlock. Joining me today is artist Beth Kirby and we will be discussing reinvention. Hey Beth, thank you so much for joining me today. And first of all, before we get started into our juicy conversation, could you please <laughs> let everyone know who you are, and what you do, and a little bit about yourself? Hello, everyone. Thanks, Katie. Um, so I am Beth Kirby. I am an artist. I'm based in Bristol. I talk quite a lot about female experience and female body and myself obviously because i'm an artist um i also run a life drawing class and do other creative things with my time thank you beth you did that i love i wish everyone could see how animated your face that was there <laughs> gorgeous gorgeous and today we have for you we have a juicy topic today and we haven't done any thinking or planning uh, outside of this recording about this. Mm-hmm. So it's, this is this is raw. We, yeah. <laughs> we have no idea what's going to come up. Time free. And I kind of dropped this one on you. We saw each other a few weeks ago and I was like, we are going to talk about reinvention. Mm-hmm. And luckily uh, you sparked up the minute I said that. And the reason why I thought this for, for you and for us to talk about is both uh, female identifying artists we and the life we have both led separately we've had to reinvent ourselves a number of times to stay current stay with it and particularly Mm -hmm. in the creative industry and I just want to open up first of all open this one the floor up to you what are your initial thoughts and feelings about reinvention um I think the reason that I my ear, my little ears pricked up when you mentioned it is because uh, up until, I don't know, maybe five years ago, um, I worked full-time in marketing. Um, and I had always had a creative past and been in creative education and stuff like that. But I fell into the kind of post-uni quagmire that is paid work. <laughs> um so uh, it actually was quite it was kind of painful but ultimately rewarding process to go from being a full-time employed person to someone who uh, is now employed self-employed doing different things um and but a lot of that is self-employed so as an artist so um I think I it wasn't I didn't feel like I was reinventing myself at the time I felt it was more like I, it was doing a very slow return back to my true self I suppose um but it kind of required certain tools to get there um which I had to kind of sift out from everything uh so yeah I think for that type of reinvention of really big stuff is an amazing process to go to go through. Um, and in terms of general reinvention, I think I think we're always always doing that a little bit every day. Um, I'm always striving for something new or for the change here or you know some something 
uh, maybe that means I'm never satisfied I don't know but but um yeah I mean I think I actually think reinvention is one of life's high points I think it's it's creativity incarnate really isn't it to be like I'm going to change something about myself or about my life or you know about how I think about that at least you know I think it's I think it can be really powerful so that's my kind of why I wanted to do this topic I was like yay this will be fun <laughs> I love that you ended on it's going to be powerful um yeah I think, do you think as a creative and as a creative person, I mean, everyone's creative, everyone's creative, yeah. but you, you're working as a, in the creative field at the minute. Do you think working as a creative, you have to reinvent yourself more times than someone who isn't? Mm, I think, I don't think you have to. I think perhaps create, maybe creative minded people or people who work creatively, whatever that means, I suppose, I think maybe they're more attuned to it and, and maybe they want to progress things and change things. And it's not, when I say like change things, I know it's not like I'm not happy with this, I want it to be different. It's like, it's a being aware of a progression that is needed. It's progression really, isn't it? Like reinvention. So I think maybe more than, you know, the average person maybe we're so used to thinking in that in that way which is actually is quite kind of not always linear but definitely moving forwards so maybe we are a bit more mm, keen to do it than the average person so I do think we incorporate into our lives a bit more for sure I'm gonna (laughs) I'm gonna be maybe a little bit cruel and throw you quite a big one here you ready to catch Mm. it Drop in. Yeah, gone. <laughs> Do you think reinventing yourself a number of times, as as we both have discussed outside of this recording, do you think it brings you towards your true self or further away? Hmm, I think that probably depends on the reasons why you're doing the reinvention. So, hmm. if it's a reinvention to maybe fit in or to you know something that's maybe a bit more superficial or like perhaps looks what I don't know but if that's to do with an external force then I think maybe that could take you away from your true self I think that I think some forms of reinvention if they're if they're kind of spurred on from some an internal place that's like I suppose true like it's kind of hard to explain like I think if you if I've happened upon something internally that I'm like I don't think that this say behavior is working for me anymore or this work that I'm doing is working for me anymore because xyz has happened in my life which didn't make me feel great so I'm going to change it then I think because you've done the questioning of yourself first, then that's a path onto, you know, the, something that's truer to yourself or more aligned with your soul. If you're thinking, oh, I think I feel shit and I don't know why, maybe I'll change some stuff or I, you know, I don't, don't, I feel bored. I'm just going to just do it on whim and I just, you know, or everyone else has reinvented themselves to align with these certain things I think I'll do it too 
I don't really see how that could be helping you get closer to your true self unless you don't know your true self and it's you just sort of happen upon it so I I, I'm fascinated, fascinated about the journey to the self. You've answered that just superbly. And from that, (laughs) as like we're both artists and we both um, draw and paint, do you find when you are in in that headspace, in that beautiful sense of flow when you're painting and drawing, is that an opportunity for you to reconnect to yourself? Do you get reconnected to yourself when you're in the state of flow creatively? And how does that feel for you? What does that look like for you? I think I think I've, I've come to realize I've kind of got a couple of different modes of that flow. Um, mm-hmm. When I was younger, I think, and um, maybe my practice wasn't so varied, and also it wasn't making me money. <laughs> um, I think I I was much more focused in, so my flow would be I'm working on something, and there's music on, and I'm barely noticing anything else around me, especially with with drawing more than any other uh material or anything like that so it'd be really like you know and I don't even I don't even realize but I'm my my nose is like a few inches away from the piece of paper and I'm like you know drawing and getting really into this thing and it's kind of it's quite meditative in a way um I still have that, that flow but another flow I have is like the opposite in terms of vibe so it's like I am full of energy I don't want to sit down. I don't want to make anything. I don't want to take anything through to completion. I just want to try shit and like be messy and let, you know, some other part of your brain like guide you, which it's, it sounds so wanky when people say this kind of thing, but like that is an element to all types of creativity where it's like this kind of outside maybe not outside maybe very deep inside I don't know thing just comes out of nowhere and you're like well I, ha- I have to do the thing and when you when you hear people say that especially if you're having like a creative block you're like oh my God, shut the fuck up do you know what I mean it's like <laughs> I mean, like it's like a higher creative power you're amazing but it does sometimes feel like a little bit like you have to do it so I think those are my kind of it's not a full like duality but like I sometimes have these kind of very inward focus like I call it deep work um where like I want to do one thing and I kind of want to stay on it until it's finished and I'm quiet and focused and calm and then the other kind of high energy thing of like just trying loads of shit and like ah, and that type of flow is also very dangerous because I get really distracted so if anyone texts me when I'm in that I will then end up on my phone and then like google a million different things and then I'm like what was I doing so those are my kind of modes of flow at the moment anyway (laughs) I love thank you so much for like really describing those for us so I had such an image of you in that play right there you did such a good job I would love to for people who, who've never seen your work I part of the reason we connected in the first place because we touch on very similar themes in our work can you just spend a bit of time kind of talking about currently what your current themes are on your work and how that has changed over time so so I've always 
pretty much made figurative work to some degree. Um, and uh, over the last few years, maybe five years or so, that's been pretty exclusively based on female form. Um, it, that started of a place of kind of um, body acceptance for me, but also diversity in bodies. Um, but I've, and also quite a lot of abstraction of bodies, really. So um, a lot of stuff I was doing up until very recently, actually, was kind of, it's quite anonymous, which I wanted it to be. So people could see themselves in the work I was making. So set body type, maybe no face would be, that would be cropped in a way, um, quite similar to some of your work where it's like, you know, focusing on certain bits, which is kind of abstraction, but abstraction I think can help people see themselves in work, whatever that looks like. So, um, and yeah, kind of a focus on um, the drawing because, that really excites me um and painting and other things um and it kind of I felt like it kind of culminated in a project I did um in, in during the pandemic which was a book where I got people to send in nudes um and I drew them and then kind of alongside that was having a discussion about how the rhetoric about bodies and stuff had changed during a time when we were all trapped inside, how it was like, oh, you know, we're getting fat and all this kind of stuff, which I felt like there'd been some work in at least the rhetoric I experienced online to get rid of that. And it just kind of like came straight in back into the kind of general conversation. Um, so then uh, I yeah, made this book and it was really nice and I was able to connect with a lot of people. Then I kind of continued to do that work and developed it a little bit, but yeah. I, I don't know if I kind of burnt myself out with it a little bit, but I felt like I'd started doing it for other people, which is nice because I was trying to connect with people, I suppose. And also, I just always want people to give me attention in terms of artwork. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I think everyone does a bit. So, um, but yeah, and I was like, actually, I didn't. I think I've said what I need to say with this now. Like, I think I feel like I'm kind of done with that conversation. I'm never fully done with it. Obviously, I'm sort of woman with a body in a Western society. So, you know, you can't ever really be done with it. But, um, yeah, so in the last year or so, I've, I've keep coming back to this thing of asking myself, like, what do you actually want to make now? Like, how is this changing for you? What do you want to talk about? So I'm still talking about that kind of female experience, but I'm, I've winded it out now to include like my experience, but of the general aspect. So that kind of started with... Uh, I'd like a discussion between different areas of myself so stuff which I consider feminine and less feminine and how modern femininity includes quite a lot of masculinity in my opinion and with people I know um so I was talking about that kind of 
looking to a sense of inspiration for me which is vintage pornography and <laughs> this kind of this connection between objectification sexualization nudity femininity because it's uh I was think I just find it fascinating and I think it's changed quite a lot uh in this kind of fourth wave era um I'm so yeah I was going to say, I've just had that image. There's a moment about three or four months ago of you and I sat in your studio looking through the old vintage pornography books. It was just breathtaking, yeah, <laughs> quite frankly. Exactly. And, I just, and I was just thinking, with regard to reinvention, my God, like how pornography has changed and the style of photography and also the bodies, how the yeah. bodies have changed. Yeah, and like um, the trends in bodies, which is, I don't know where that comes I can't even imagine where the trend of a certain body comes from, like especially eighties and nineties. Like, why was the archetypal fifties body like a certain you know hourglass with like certain shaped boobs, for example? That's like a big thing. Like the shape of boobs, just <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> it was just crazy. And it's like, I mean, obviously, there's when you you look at it like that and you actually look at this pornography which for a long time I felt was very like or still is I think like aimed at men but sort of gate kept by men almost and like it's not seen as something that women use or can look at but when you actually look at it you're like this is crazy like it's literally like the fashion of shoes like like the 50s boob looks like this the 60s boob looks like this it's like but those boob shapes have obviously existed then they've continued to exist they existed before it's just in a way like it's when you start to look at it like that I feel like it's quite it's quite freeing and empowering in a way because you're like well look I mean obviously this is ridiculous I don't feel now that like pornography and stuff is telling me how I should look because it literally covers all looks like it's mm. been through everything it's just like a trend thing like you know it's there's just so much to be said there's so much to think about um not all negative not all positive just really interesting so I still I don't think I'll ever fully leave that behind it'll still just be this dirty little stash in my studio forever <laughs> <laughs> what can I be inspired by today <laughs> I love how that also sparked quite, I don't know if you remember, we went off an adjacent after we kind of had our moment looking, flicking, flicking through the books. Because um, we both grew up in sort of late 90s, early noughties, uh, which was the era, at least we forget, of the flat chest, flat stomach, flat hair. Where everything was flat, everything, wasn't it? Actually, um, flat chest, if you were a girl, was something to say but if you're a boy it's like pneumatic boobs so <laughs> like nowhere in between like huge boobs no anything else Paris Hilton you know <laughs> but with boobs and then if you're a girl then it just Paris Hilton standard but yeah flat hair really flat hair I'm... thin eyebrows flat eyebrows flat everything <laughs> I am so grateful that both my hair and my eyebrows have recovered. Yeah. That, was that was daily plucking to get those eyebrows. <laughs> yeah, and daily straightening. I mean, neither of us have 
straight hair like oh god that was yeah it was a very um I felt very one-dimensional look at beauty when I was growing up for sure how does it feel seeing that come back around slowly and slightly does it is it bringing up a bit of PTSD for you (laughs) absolutely oh my god you know I I put something about this in my Instagram story about six months ago maybe and I went into the city centre in Bristol and to begin with you're kind of like oh you know that's I remember that kind of low slung waist from the first time around or um and it's kind of amusing in a way because then you're also like oh my god I'm old or, or whatever but it's also, you know, completely uh, expected that it comes around because loads of that 90s trend was 70s trend rip of anyway, so it just keeps going. But I did think, oh, God, like, this kind of... I felt so not the ideal woman when I was a teenager, mm-hmm. and I'm sure loads of teenagers feel the same, but I was overweight, I was very tall, I had, like, a big frame, I just... I felt like pretty much constantly miserable about how I looked and I did think I mean I I think there has been a lot of talk of that that kind of like acceptance is a lot more commonplace now and talking about you know representation and having that everywhere and I think it is you know like it's becoming a wider conversation with bigger brands loads of even the cheapest brands have like bus ranges now you know all that kind of stuff um but I did think oh god it just it kind of broke my heart a little bit to think about this whole other generation of girls and like the ones who were fat basically feeling awful about themselves for god knows how long um I don't know if that is exactly the same now because of this kind of work of acceptance that's been done in the in the general sphere. Maybe it's a bit like, well, yeah, I am, but I'm still going to wear these, you know, very low sun trousers or little belly top or fucking hell, the crop top also, just as a side note. Oh, when it's going to be done, it has been going on for so long. Like, I just, when you, when you try and shop for a top, <laughs> literally all of them are cropped what is I don't understand that and also I think if you just took a cross section of like 100 women 100 people even that most of the if you said what's your least favorite body part I think they'd all go because apparently this has to be flat it's just like a thing that's just (laughs) been been in the anyway but yeah I mean I'd I it definitely obviously as you can hear it is kind of good bringing up some uncomfortable teenage memories for me. I knew I knew that would poke your fire because it pokes mine <laughs> as well. <laughs> we are of the same era and it was just hard. Yeah, it was just hard. And and also, and also I think like every te- every group of teens or you know young people they you know go around in these big groups and they all kind of dress pretty much the same and it does extend much past that but I do do think like I basically took all of those feelings of not feeling like fucking hammy off fave um to turn myself into a goth obviously like (laughs) that's obviously what I did 
and yeah. continue yeah continue to be alternative and cool and weird for as long as I possibly could maybe even still now um and I just think oh is that even possible now because everything is so online and so shared like does everyone just dress the same I don't know here's a good question because I was I was exact I went I reinvented myself probably about 10 times between the ages of like 13 and 20 because we could, there were so many subcultures that we could jump and which, and each subculture had a very dramatic uniform, a very different uniform from the next. So you could be like, Oh, one day I'm this and this. Uh, I I went from like chaff to goth to skater (laughs) and, Mm -hmm. and back and round again. So I think I did. (laughs) We had the option to reinvent ourselves dramatically as teenagers. And you touched on this just a second ago. Do you think there's that option now to reinvent yourself in the same way I mean, that we had it? Yeah, I don't I don't know, because it, it was there was like a it wasn't just a look, was it? All of those scenes they had activities, music, yeah. like class even. It was like a quite a large play and a lot of those things, I think. And I don't know. I think it's difficult to comment because obviously we, the internet came in as I, like you know, became was in secondary school pretty much. Not that I'm old, um, but like you know, it's, <laughs> I can't imagine what it would have been like to have that and to have a phone. Like the difference in my life, honestly between having the iPhone and not is like big and if you are 20 now which means you were born in fucking 2002 oh my god which is crazy which I was in in secondary school but anyway so like that you've had one forever and you've had one for your whole teenage life and I did I think like using TikTok and using Instagram, social media, and all that kind of stuff. I think there are vastly more trends available and more subcultures and more looks, but I think they're not as strongly held. So I think you can experiment, but I I feel like this kind of overarching thing now in in social media and maybe the whole Gen Z thing, although I don't really subscribe to that, is is nothing is deep everything is wide so people try lots of different things which i think is great um and they're like mini reinventions all the time um and you can use those kind of especially if you're young you can use mini reinventions to find out who you are and explore different paths or whatever but i do i think it's maybe a little bit problematic that they're not going deeply it's just broad you know what I mean so I think there's probably more chances to reinvent yourself but I maybe it's more superficial reinvention oh that's a good one (laughs) (laughs) it's difficult though oh that is such a good one I like how we've arrived at this place going back going back in time Mm. to our our teenage yeah. years and how, yeah. how I was deeply invested in being a chav as well was, were you that's surprising uh, to me I was a working class girl so there was no option for me it was like started off as chav mm-hmm. and um I never used to speak like that this is not really how I speak this is not my mother really? tongue my mother tongue <laughs> lends itself <laughs> to the chav culture particularly well 
and I enjoyed yeah. it for a time. And then when I went to college, like that wasn't that wasn't the thing. So I went to, mm. when I went to college, I did art. So Chavin art, no, we kind of. What kind? Of, were, you, were you like a makeup nails Chav, or were you oh, the, like want yeah. more of the like sporty spice Chav? Bit of both, because you think makeup back then, you know, you had. Maybe I just I would. Oh yeah, Maybelline Matte Mousse. You, you. I walk into Boots now, and like, there's still a tear that comes in my eye. I'm like, oh my god, imagine if this was. You, you would walk into Boots, and you had like uh, Ramel and Maybelline. That was it, and you had like three makeup brushes. That was it, and so it was a case of like, I remember when that came out, and I had it, the Matte Mousse, yeah. and just so be. I was into makeup, but you couldn't really be into makeup like you are now because you didn't have the vast options. You know, mm. oh my god, you can reinvent yourself twenty times over with makeup. Back then, it was kind of like mm. you had twelve products, and that's pretty yeah. much. I uh, and also there was nowhere to really find it. Like the internet, like just didn't have the amount of stuff on it that it does now. Like, oh. and you also think to do, you wouldn't think to like Google like how to do the perfect cut crease or whatever. I wouldn't even fucking know what a cut crease was. But I got in on the sort of makeup. I got bought, you know, Urban Decay. That, that didn't come out until, like, I didn't access that until way late, sort of 20. So I don't know how, it must have been in boots. I was obsessed with makeup and I loved it. And I was like, when it was this kind of glam thing that I wasn't quite able to access. And I had quite a glam auntie um, who, you know, always red lipstick, shiny dark hair, fancy skincare, very yes. glam. And yes. he bought me an Urban Decay, it was called Face Case, so it had like eyeshadows and lip glosses. Back then, Urban Decay was so appealing to a gothy teen. Like, it was really like, all the case was metal, like the lipstick used to come in like an old, like a bullet case kind of thing. Like, oh. the, the lip gloss was called Lip gunk like the colors were called like mildew and like you know just like it was just so amazing and then inside the box obviously this is like expensive makeup you know very and it had like these like looks that you could do with like these four eyeshadow colors in the box and oh my god oh my god I used to play hours and I would go to school wearing these like fucking full-on goth eye makeup like black eyeshadow blue around the edge and just oh I loved it loved it oh I remember having a brown eyeliner and that being kind of like the holy grail because that went on my eyes (laughs) and it went on my lips. So I did the brown, you know, like how dark brown eyeliner is. Did the brown eyeliner lip with like the pale lip gloss. Remember Uh that? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I never did it though, but the, you know, the foundation or the concealer on the lips. Yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't wasn't really a thing. It was like the dark liner and then the, the like, baby pink lip gloss you know, yeah really lots like, of black oh. eyeliner on your waterline as well isn't it yeah just that <laughs> oh what did, did you what did you do after Chav? what did you do after so when Chav? i went to um when i went to art school which was in bath and for those who mm-hmm. don't know bath it's a very um there's lots of language schools in bath so the accent in bath is very neutral doesn't mm-hmm. really have a dialect so when I arrived in my true sat 
Chab Glory stuck out like a sore, sore thumb. And so all my new friends were just like, you need to, we can't understand you. So I changed my accent. Maybe when they had like explicitly said. They're like, what? No, they didn't say that, but they would take the piss. And you know, when you're 15 years old and Mm -hmm. you've got your mates taking the piss about how you speak and how you structure your sentences, like put two on the end of things, there's not, right now I kind of regret it because dialects are now way more acceptable and way more loved. But back then, it was like, you look like a chap, you sound like a chap, you're no longer in your village. (laughs) And so it went very heavily into that kind of skater. You know, when you had the trousers and they were low, but like the bottoms of the trousers were like Mm -hmm. about 50 centimetres. And they would drag on the floor. And when it would rain, which was all the time, the the wet would go up right up to your knee. Or like and yeah, and then after and then after a while, because they were so long, they weren't tucked under your heel. Then you would get a hole in the back of them, yes, where you had like ground through. And you spend the whole day if you got wet in the morning, like you spend the whole day with like damp up to your knee. And do you know what? I was in. I think it was in Boots actually. I saw a girl who's probably nineteen, and she. had a baby fat jacket she had a juicy bag she had a hair like a big puffy ponytail two little bits at the front she had like the law joggers but guess what they were long wide legs law joggers and it was a wet day and you better believe that the bottom like four five <laughs> inches of her joggers wet I was like yes now you know now you know what it was really like <laughs> oh the empathy must have been strong just like also the kind of like haha you're playing with this thing that was a but this is like i've been in the trenches of this you know what i mean yeah like you you wore those trousers (laughs) you you had to it was like breaking in a new pair of shoes you had to accept you were going to be well up to the knee for most of the day (laughs) and that's just something everyone had to do (laughs) definitely but do you feel like as an adult, we're gonna I'm gonna try and turn this around that was I got lost in that. Yeah, we went great. I mean, we went, oh, it's beautiful though. As, as <laughs> an, I say as an adult, I, I hate using that. Let's not use that. Where you are yeah. now in your life, do you feel there that go. there we go? There we go. Um, do you feel that you have the same kind of reinvention as you did way back when you were a teen? It's not quite as dramatic, is it? Can we go as dramatic? I don't know though when you say dramatic I think in terms of outward appearance or all that kind of thing yeah probably not so dramatic but in terms of way of thinking about your life and approaching your life like you have more autonomy so it can be as dramatic as you fucking want yes. um yeah like I think yeah I think I did I feel I have things in my life that I didn't have in my life when I was doing that kind of top level reinvention and <laughs> more fun as well like you could just fuck around and be like yeah I'm gonna just you know cover myself in safety pins today and then you know and I do to be honest like looks wise and dress sense wise I do like to chop and change I don't have like a set look because I like the dress up on it the wardrobe and same with makeup like I like to play it's like a way of us playing as adults I think but um in terms of like radical transformation it's probably quite slow but I think you've got more scope to do that at the age I am now in my 30s because you can go right 
I I'm not happy with my job or my partner or where I live or these huge things which influence lots of stuff in your life and then you can go change them Here's a big question. Number one, catch this one. I, I really don't know how to word this. If I don't word this correct you, correctly, can you kind of help me out with this one? Yeah. Okay. Um, this is fueled by, uh, I spoke to you about Taylor Swift. We got on a conversation about Taylor Swift. And I saw, if you haven't seen the documentary on Netflix, watch it. It's uh, really, really lovely. And she was talking about, and this is kind of what fueled this conversation, how she... The, I mean, incredibly successful artist and someone as successful as her has to totally reinvent herself each time she launches a new album. And that's kind of, you know, image as well as kind of tone and all the rest of it. And she, something that really, one of the things that I really took away from that documentary that, well, that has stayed with me is that she mentioned how her male peers, artists don't have to do the level of reinvention she has to do has to do each and every time when she launches a new album and okay so how can i word this as as you as as a as a woman do you feel that your reinventions have been more frequent more dramatic and do they look different to your male counterparts how does, how did that land did that land with you yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I think do you know what? I think maybe that is true. I do think women fully with reinvention more. I don't think I absolutely don't think there's a have to about it. Um and I, uh, but I do think I mean and even in, in her case, that's that's that kind of point that she's making, I don't that type of reinvention goes with an artistic set of things. And I like look at like, you know, Madonna, Beyonce, like these huge people mm. who famously change their looks. Like that is is part of a it's a performance piece almost, you know what I mean? So and also boohoo Taylor, like um <laughs> but um I do I think it's I think it depends on on the person to be honest with you. Um I think maybe women might be conditioned to be a little less content so the mm. need for reinvention might, might come up more um or maybe women are actually kind of brave with change and men maybe less so but I do think that might be a person-to-person thing rather than an overarching gender thing to be honest with you I think real change and real reinvention is hard work um yeah. and it, especially if it's coming from somewhere internally like you really need to ask yourself difficult questions and figure out slowly and through trial and error how to change them um and that's a personal thing I think I think it's perhaps one of those rarest of things that isn't actually to do with how shit everything is for women (laughs) but but yeah but maybe part of it is like I said maybe we are a little conditioned to be less content with things and search for change or that could be a personal thing as well it's a hard one to answer but you've done a great job at kind of I was nodding away at that I was like yeah it's 
It's really hard. <laughs> it can't really be associated to a gender as well, which is really interesting what you said. I mean, it depends what you're referring to. Like, if it's if it's in terms of image image and stuff, yeah, I think women do change their looks more often than men. Definitely. God, my granddad still has the same haircut that he had when he was 18. You know what I mean? He's 19. But... My goodness. <laughs> But but if it's terms of deep, I think deep real change yeah. that is led by yourself is actually rare. Um, change happens, you know, uncontrollably anyway. But for someone to go, oh, you're not happy with this aspect of my life, and figure out what they need to do to change it and actually change it, I don't think that happens very often. So I don't think that can be gendered. Yeah. That's a great, it's a great point you made there. I think moving, moving, I tell you what would be a good one actually. Kind of like a nice one to kind of end what end on as well. If someone's listening and they're like, oh, I need to, I fancy, or I need to, I fancy, I long for to change a few things up to reinvent my current situation because it's not serving me. Mm-hmm. Do you have any uh guidance on on that as someone? who has integrated reinvention in their lives, how would you kind of little signposts and guides for someone who's wanting to explore a reinvention? So I know this sounds a bit silly, but I actually think some of the uh, change I made in my life came from reading a... (laughs) actually pretty unapplicable in the general scheme of things self-help type book um I had a very stressful busy job at the time and felt overwhelmed a lot and I was also trying to figure out what being creative meant and stuff um I it's called something like something about not giving a fuck basically it's by someone called Sarah Knight but lots of it is about being you know it's, lots of it's very like female coded and then lots of it's problematic but there's one thing in there um which I found helpful um and also had come up previously in my life in CBT cognitive behavioral therapy of basically figuring out what it is that you want out of life or what you maybe is you, you want to change you it could be something small like oh my god I'm wasting the time on my phone or it could be I want to live in Paris or whatever so you figure out what that thing is and then instead of making it kind of an abstract dream or whatever you actually you think backwards from that point so Mm -hmm. for me it was I want to be an artist right like I want that to be my job so to go backwards from there I'm like well to do that, I have to get my art seen by people who want to buy it. So to do that, I need to put it somewhere where people are going to see it. So to do that, I need to make more art. So to do that, I need more time to make more art. So to do that, I need to not have a full-time job. So you basically work backwards in a, like a logical way, essentially, of like, and you can do that with anything, any type of, you know, if there's re- reinvention, should always like lead to something more positive even if it's difficult on the way but mm. you know got and I, I to be honest I kind of did that I like it took a long fucking time but I 
you know, worked backwards of a point. And I need, I'm not like, mm, I've completely, I've completed this journey, like next sort of thing. But I, I found it really helpful to actually think, okay, you, these things don't, I'm, not, I'm a bit of a, I'm a bit of a daydreamer and, and love to think about, oh, it'd be cool to do this or whatever. But it was kind of eye-opening to think, oh my God, you actually can do this. You can actually break it down to make it, like just saying, I want to, you know, do whatever it is, can be quite abstract and hard to grasp. But if you work backwards from that point into steps that you might need to do or try and incorporate, then it's much more manageable and... It, it makes sense I, I kind of I was reading this thing on a plane and I made the list on a plane I know other things in my life had helped me get to that point so I had left a relationship with someone that wasn't really right for me and I uh, was you know wanting to move there's a few other things going on but I kind of sat and thought I want to change this, this thing in my life because actually I think it's leading to recurrent bouts of depression and feeling overwhelmed and not very happy and not engaging socially with people. Loads of stuff. I thought actually this is connected, and it turns out it was. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I think my my advice would be want to change things in your life, no matter what sizes. I think you actually have to think about how you might get there and some of those steps are going to be internal so some of those are going to be thinking how you think about yourself you know and if you're having a shit day where you're not you know doing stuff conducive to your plan that's okay and like you know finding almost like little mantras I guess to like help yourself through that is really helpful so I think it has to be something that resonates with you you know like my noise used to be like you can give yourself a break like not everything has to be done right now that's what you said <laughs> you that's, repeat that's a good one that's a good one <laughs> yeah whereas now it's more kind of more kind of trust thing is what I repeat to myself now because I get I still I'm mean to myself if I have a day where I'm not being productive but then I'll find two days later that I have come to some sort of, you know, outcome in my work in my head and I'm ready to work again. So now I'm like, right, okay, you have to, they're all part of the same process rather than some behaviour is good, some behaviour is bad. Oh, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I might try and implement some of these things I'm reinventing myself as a interviewer for a podcast and that's that's hard much harder than they thought it was yeah that is hard it's like like thinking having to think on the spot and making sure that your questions as a dyslexic making sure your questions come out right (laughs) (laughs) illegible and not offend anyone at the same time because words do get mashed in my head is uh great you're good you have your you have an interviewer's gravity for sure. You'd be like, hmm, let me feel this in this direction. <laughs> Perfect level of authority and openness. There you go. It's a journey and I'm getting there. It's a, it's a, it's a journey. It's a journey. I'm going to wrap this one up for us now because okay. we've come to a beautiful, beautiful point and end and going to close it. And it's nearly to the hour as well. Look at that timekeeping mm-hmm. skills. Look. 
So we got last by no means least. How could our listeners get hold of you, know more about you? Have you got anything going on that they can get involved in right now? Finish off with something like that. Okay, so I suppose the main thing that I am kind of working on alongside my practice at the moment is my life drawing. So that takes place a couple times a week in Bristol, uh, in Hamilton House. Uh, you can find it on Eventbrite or you can go to my website, which is bethcub.co.uk. Um, and my Instagram handle, which is the same. Um, it's a very fun class where I encourage you to have fun and I'm not going to teach you what to do. It's relaxing, focused, concentrated. It's things that we don't do very often in this modern online world. Um, so yeah, I, I do that and that's how people can get in touch with me. Um, I like to have conversations with people so please do get in touch with me. Um, <laughs> apart from that, just also making artwork at the same time which sometimes shows happen sometimes they don't I don't know <laughs> um but yeah that's how you can find me Beth thank you so much you've been an absolute dream to talk thank to you. and thank you for giving your time you're welcome just one more thing before you go as we move into the final stretch of winter it's important to take a moment and to reflect on our lives. Sometimes life can feel overwhelming and it can be challenging to find the time and the space to think. That's why I'm offering a unique opportunity to support you through this time. From now until March the 21st, you have a chance to book three one-hour coaching sessions with me. And the best part? You can pay what you can for these sessions. This is your chance to dedicate three hours of your time to thinking, reflecting, and growing. If you're interested, I would love to schedule a free 20-minute consultation with you. During this time, we'll get to know each other and see how coaching in the thinking environment could benefit you. Simply visit my website, katiefisher.com forward slash coaching for more information and to book your consultation. Don't let the challenges of winter hold you back take this opportunity to invest in yourself and start the new season feeling refreshed and rejuvenated.